Like many of you, I had plans for this spring. My husband would be traveling abroad for six weeks, so I was going to make the most of my time alone. I was all ready to line up a number of interviews for my next All Town USA episode, and I had several small trips planned to see friends and family. Little did I know that in just two short weeks, everything would be turned upside down. And not just in a way that one can expect throughout their lifetime, but in a way that truly shakes the foundation of everything one values and depends on. And it wasn't something that just affected me or my family, or my town, or even my country. But the entire world felt this shakeup. No country, community, or person was or is immune. Never before has the phrase, we're all in this together, been uttered so much on a global scale. But also, never before has it been so true. And the people you're about to hear from in this two-part episode know that. Whether they're a nurse, pastor, small business owner, community builder, or parent, they know it will take the community, every community as a whole, to support one another through this unexpected and challenging time. We need each other always, but especially now. So I guess it's fitting that this podcast tagline is, this is about all of us, because it is. I'm Stephanie. Welcome to All Town USA. over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. While the coronavirus continues to spread at speed, this time a week ago, there were under 3,000 cases in China. There are now more than 17,000 and more than 360 people have died. The coronavirus has now been discovered inside the United States. The Center for Disease Control says, well, this is the first case in the U.S., they aren't expecting it to be the last. They are expecting that number to rise. Officials in Washington state confirm a patient has died from the infection. The first coronavirus death reported so far in the U.S. This morning, the number of cases worldwide is topping 93,000. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., there are now at least 108 cases. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. Tonight, as the toll rises to staggering levels, reports the U.S. has surpassed China with over 80,000 since the start of the outbreak. Therefore, starting tomorrow evening, Saturday, March 21st at 5 p.m., all our residents will be subject to a stay-at-home order. There are now over one million confirmed cases of the coronavirus in our United States, which means Americans account for nearly one-third of all the cases worldwide, and the death toll is on track to surpass the 58,000 Americans who were killed during the entirety of the Vietnam War. I don't come to this decision easily. I fully recognize that in some cases, I am choosing between saving people's lives and saving people's livelihoods. Aside from Bill Gates and maybe a few others, no one saw this coming. So I think that's why this has been especially difficult for everyone. It caught us all off guard. And it's not like we as a country have never gone through challenging times. But what is asked of us during those challenging times is unlike what is being asked of us now. During wars, we're asked to go out and spend money to stimulate the economy. 
During natural disasters, we donate food, goods, and money, and volunteer to help clean up and rebuild. But this is something completely different. This pandemic is asking us to give up our fundamental rights as Americans, our freedom. The freedom to meet your friends at your favorite coffee shop, restaurant, or bar, to go see a movie, to get your hair done, or travel across the country to see your loved ones. And of course, to go to work, to go into your office, or to open up the shop each day that you built from the ground up and that you rely on to put food on your table and a roof over your head. This pandemic and our country and state's reactions to it are demanding a lot of us. And with no clear end in sight, it can be really scary at times. But with other challenging times, it has also brought out examples of ingenuity, care, and selflessness by those in our communities. People who are donating their time and energy to provide food for those in need or protection for those on the front line. People who are coming up with new ideas to help support the businesses in their towns. And of course, those who every day continue to put their lives on the line to keep us safe, healthy, and fed. It's obviously a challenging time, and while we're all united in working together to end this pandemic, how we're getting through each day and how this impacts us is different for each person. In part one of this episode, you're going to hear from a number of people, some familiar voices and some new ones, about how this pandemic is impacting them and their livelihoods, and what they need from and how they're giving back to the community. In the second part, we'll take a look into how they and others are coping, and what lessons they will take with them as we start to emerge back into some sort of sense of normalcy. Let's start with a familiar voice. Hello. Donna? Yes. Hey. You may remember Donna Bazilian from the second part of episode six about the river. Donna is an RN at Alton Memorial Hospital and has worked there for the past 40 years. I spoke with Donna about a month ago, so obviously things have changed a little. But when I texted with her a few days ago to check in, she said that thankfully things at Alton Memorial are still under control. I asked Donna what work has been like in the last few weeks leading up to our interview. Well, it's changed pretty drastically this week. Before the start of this week, we were kind of just hearing about things coming because our area hasn't been impacted too bad yet. They did designate our first floor wing, which is normally where our post-surgical patients go to. Um, They did designate that as our COVID floor if it became necessary because it has a direct entrance to the emergency room. Um, so that was some of the preparations. And then they also cut down visitors. They've restricted visiting, period. No visitors unless it's an OB patient, a pediatric patient, or like a, a handicapped person that their caregiver is um, critical to their care and function. Then they can have one visitor. The talk was that they were going to suspend and cancel all elective surgeries and elective procedures in other departments which they have done now. I asked her about supplies at the hospital and if they were in short supply of anything. For the past couple weeks and probably before, they've been very proactive and talking and having meetings. I mean, like you hear them talking on TV, on the news conferences and stuff about the critical need for ventilators and things like that. Well, I've I've heard our leaders in their meetings talking about those such things that uh, how many ventilators they have and that in our surgery department, we could potentially be turned into a unit that could house ventilator patients because our operating rooms have the anesthesia machines that the anesthesiologists of those use when providing anesthesia for the patients for surgery. Those can each be turned into ventilators 
if needed in a dire situation to supply more ventilator capacity. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, we haven't, I haven't noticed a shortage of anything, but we haven't had the critical need like mm-hmm. some of the bigger cities. Donna has told me that she has dealt with patients who have needed to be isolated before, but that this feels much different. It's different to me, the way I feel about it, is it just seems so much more urgent mm-hmm. or scary. Um, in the past, when we've had patients that have needed to be on isolation, like, for instance, for influenza or um, HIV or any of that type of thing, it's something that maybe has already been in the community and it hasn't seemed like such a, a crisis. You know, it hasn't been pandemic proportions. Um, so you just obviously follow the normal uh, routine isolation procedures. But with this, it seems so much more scary because even the people that you encounter every day could potentially be a carrier and you don't know it because they don't have symptoms. So how do you isolate yourself from everyone? I don't know if it's because of the media hype, but in the medical community, they're, they're taking it very serious. I asked her if the hospital felt prepared for a possible outbreak. Our bosses came around and asked us all, because there's several of us in the department. Well, actually, all of us have come from another department. We all had previous experience. They came around and asked us where we worked before, what was our previous experience, because a lot of the girls have ICU experience or ER experience or whatever, and they wrote that down and made note of that and also asked if we would be willing to work evening and midnight uh, in case there was a need. The ICU did get overloaded and needed help. They made sure knowing what our expertise was, where they could utilize us the most. So they were seeing what they had available as far as experience where they could use us the best. So I thought that was kind of a smart thing to do. And pretty much everyone said, whatever you need us to do, you know, wherever you need us, we'll do whatever you need us to do. So that's kind of reassuring to know that we have that great of a team that everybody's willing to help in any way they can. So that's, you know, and, and good leadership too. I mean, yeah. I appreciate that everything they're doing. So. And what a strong sense of community you all have because you're all, you know, front and center and all of this. And um, what's the support like amongst the RNs and doctors? and Family. Everybody in the department where I work, and, and I would probably have to say the same for the you know other departments, but the department where I work, everyone is very supportive of everyone. Um, anytime anybody needs anything, everyone's there. But the doctors, like the anesthesiologists, you know, they've been very concerned because they would be some of the lead people in managing, intubating people and, and being having people on ventilators and stuff. They've been very concerned and very involved in all the, the talks and the meetings and stuff. But uh, I, I'd say everybody is supportive and, like I said, willing to do whatever needs to be done. But yet, naturally, human nature, everybody's kind of scared. You know, like, ooh, what's it going to be like? Because kind of fear of the unknown. You don't, you don't know what to expect, and you hear these stories on TV about the others, tens of thousands of cases in New York City, and they've had how many hundreds of deaths and stuff. You think, well, could this wave potentially be coming our way? You know, and you hope not. You do everything you can to uh, be careful and prevent spread and that kind of stuff, and you just hope that what you're doing is enough. Next, I spoke with Kayla and Jason Harrison, owners of LeMay's Catering. We have a catering business that focuses in on after-school programs, uh, daycares, schools, 
anything that has to do with the youth. We try to implement uh, farm to table as much as we can with it, introducing children to different cultures of food as well, uh, trying to bring back healthy eating for our youth. I asked them what life has been like these past weeks. With the schools being closed, our after-school programs are closed, so we're not working as well. Um, so we're just spending the time that we have with our family and creating new ideas for our business and what else we can do to help the children who aren't getting meals now. We've, we've met with a, a couple different chefs. Most recently, I met an Italian chef and a Cuban chef, so... We have some new menu items that are going to be coming um, to fruition once once we get back started here. Um, so what we're doing is just been right now we're taking this time to uh, journey to see what other different culture of food we can learn and how can we implement it into our menus as well. I then asked if they were nervous about not knowing how long this pandemic will last. Um, it's definitely uh, something that we have in the forefront of our heads. Uh, about what does it look like for us as a business, you know, um, what we'll be able to return when we do return, what does it look like then? Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we live by faith and not fear. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're still, we're just taking this time as if God has given us time to rest and actually learn. Jason has also been spending his time volunteering and gathering food and supplies for those in need. He explains a bit about what he's been doing. On a typical day, uh, we arrive and uh, farmers are all from all, literally all around the world, donating uh, food items, farmers who are donating meat. And what we're doing is we partner with Helping Hearts Grow, which is here in Alton, and they uh, pack up the dry goods that we get and some of the uh, meat packages that are raw. And then the other part of production is Rex and a. Uh, a host of other chefs, they're actually cooking dishes and then they're uh, getting it packaged up to put into these uh, baskets that we, uh, boxes that we give out. Jason was born and raised here in Alton and Kayla has lived here for many years. So I asked them about how they see the Alton community coming together during challenging times like these. I think the energy and the love is already there. And and I believe um, as as we begin to come out of this and, you know, we're fully out of it, that that's going to begin to spread. Um, Alton, to me, is already a close-knit community that, that thrives off our uh, faith and love and hope in each other, and we see the good. And so I believe any time that we get the opportunity, we capitalize on it. We seize that moment. And so this this coronavirus is doing nothing except uh, giving us, again, the opportunity to uh, capitalize on what we do best. Alton people, we do what we do best under this kind of conditions. You know, some, some people uh, are, are, are in fear and, and flight, you know, kind of deal, but Alton comes together. We're really that community. That, that really digs our heels in and come together during this kind of time. I think the greatest thing that I've seen is the support for small businesses right now. It seems like everybody is just trying to spread their support amongst everybody, you know, whether it's um, eating out uh, once a week from one of the local places. But I just think that's just pretty amazing to watch how everybody just supports one another and 
you know, because we're all going through the exact same thing at the exact same time. So I think that's just amazing to watch people support. And now here's another familiar voice. Hello. I also interviewed Sarah McGibney for episode six. Sarah is the executive director of Alton Main Street. With many of Alton's Main Street businesses shut down, I asked what work has been like for her. Well, the last two weeks have been challenging, to say the least. Um, Really, it's kind of just a big pause button on everything. Not only we were doing as an organization, but every one of the businesses that we serve is doing as a company. Uh, Right now, everybody is pretty much just in survival mode. Uh, We are trying to be helpful however we can to help businesses learn about any resources that are available to them from the state or federal level, um, as well as grants and foundations and things like that that are popping up to uh, give some relief to so many people who are just had to close their doors. I asked her about how many businesses we have downtown and how many of the downtown restaurants are offering carryout and or delivery service. Um, Downtown has more in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 uh, food service businesses. Our district is about a mile and a half long and it's basically the most concentrated area of uh, restaurants and bars and uh, locally owned shops. About 10 downtown establishments are still open for carryout or curbside pickup. Um, some of them were very much set up to do this, and it was a part of their business model, but some restaurants had never tried this before, so they are having to pretty much pivot on a dime and try to learn this new way of doing business and incorporate it into um, their existing business plan. So it has been challenging for some people to do this so quickly, especially when access to you know things like to-go containers and other uh, supplies that are necessary are in short supply as well. She then gave me some ideas as to how we can support all local businesses. Anyone who is able to get on and shop for anything for themselves or gifts or anything like that in the retail world, that would be very helpful. Um, Also, things like just leaving a review for some of your favorite stores and restaurants. Um, All those are things that you can do from your computer. Uh, Definitely continue to spread the word, just word of mouth to other people about uh, the local businesses that you really love and um, just get more exposure for them that way. Um, that's, you know, a little bit of a silver lining right now that a lot of people are discovering things for the first time that when all of this passes, they will, um, you know, pledge to be uh, bigger supporters of and shop there and dine there more going forward. I then asked her why a thriving downtown is important to any community and to explain one new idea she and others are using to help support service workers who are currently out of work. Um, a community that has a healthy downtown that really just gives a big indicator about the quality of life in the community as a whole. Um, this is really just the time for everybody to, uh, you know, step outside their comfort zone and do anything they can as far as, you know, anything extra. Uh, we are really just trying to think creatively and do anything that we can to support not only business, the business owners, but also the staff members that are currently out of work. Uh, just today, we actually posted a virtual tip jar on our Facebook page, uh, direct links to Venmo and PayPal accounts for all of our local waiters and waitresses and baristas and bartenders so that anybody who is quarantined at home, every time they go and get their own beverage out of the refrigerator or every time they cook their own meal, if they could just go and tip a few dollars to one of our local servers that are out of 
of work right now that will definitely do wonders in helping everybody hang on just a little bit longer. If anyone here is any sort of uh, call out to contact your legislators about additional support for small businesses, uh, we all need to rally support for any sort of federal finance programs that can not only lend money, but also just directly grant money to businesses that are having to undergo this uh, unforeseen hardship that none of us could have even imagined was possible. Next, you'll hear from three different small business owners, all located in downtown Alton. The first is Lillian Bates, owner of By Design, a custom couture clothing shop that also provides sewing classes and alterations. A friend took me into her shop recently to purchase a face mask, and I was blown away. It's a beautiful shop, with garments from her most recent fashion show displayed in the windows facing the river. I asked her what work has been like this past month or so, and how she's keeping busy. Well, I've never actually closed. I have continued to come to work every, every day that I'm open, and I'm not staying till as late because there's obviously not walk-in traffic. But pretty quickly, thanks to John Simmons, he was talking to Ajay, who is the director at St. Anthony's Hospital, and learned that there was a shortage of surgical caps. And John who I have known and have done work for, he said, wait, I know somebody who can do that for you. And he got in contact with me, and I, of course, said, well, yes, I can do that. And I was given a sample of what they wanted. I was given a, their cap. Well, I took it apart and reverse engineered, drafted the pattern, and then it got into the advantage, and boy... I tell you, did the volunteers respond? Mm -hmm. We have so many talented women and men in this area. The artists around here are phenomenal. But the women just volunteered out of the woodwork. Uh, a lot of the women were already quilters, so they had a lot of the 100% cotton, which is what the hospital requires. And... Uh, boy, they just, I, I had drafted the pattern. I went to uh, Office Depot and explained the situation. They gave us a break on the price mm -hmm. of having the patterns that I had drafted printed up into sheets so I could give instructions and a pattern to anyone that came in. There was no cost to anybody. People donated cotton fabric. People had cotton fabric. Uh, people donated money, people donated elastic, which is in short supply. So that kept me in operation. And how many caps were made, do you know? At the last count, and I still have some coming in, the last count there were over 400 caps made, oh. surgical caps. And now... Two things have happened. St. Anthony's had, had also said, you know what, we do need masks, but they needed a very specific kind of mask made out of a specific material, which they gave to me. And so I didn't want to farm this one out. This was kind of specialized. So I've been working myself and another excellent sewist who's been with me for years, 
Um, her name is Paula Raymond. She and I are working together on completing these masks that we're giving back to St. Anthony's. She went on to tell me that Alta Memorial also requested masks, which she and her volunteers are currently working on. And are, are you donating these or are they paying? Oh, yeah. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And she went on to tell me why she's doing it. Well, you know, you at some point in everybody's life, you have to give back. Um, you just have to. It's, it's, it's what human beings do. We have to take care of each other. And if, if nothing else comes from this, it's been amazing the response of how people have been taking care of each other. Now, I kind of get the feeling that people are getting to the end of their rope. Mm -hmm. You know, we need our towns back opened again, and people are starting to get frustrated. Um, But still, they're coming forward, and they are perfectly fine helping and volunteering. There are women that that's that's all they've been doing all day, is sewing masks for anybody that needs them. Some people are charging, but the ones that I have been in contact with, they are not. They're just giving them to people. As a small business owner, I asked her to tell me what the community can do to help support her and other business owners. Well, of course, those that are offering any kind of curbside service, um, patronize them. You know, any of the restaurants, anyone that's that's still trying to stay uh, relevant and open during this time, patronize them. Um, if people are careful, I have had people come in and wearing their masks and still want me to do an alteration. I'll do it, of course. I've got to make some money. But if if anyone is offering a service now, some businesses are offering, uh, you know, buy a gift certificate to use it later. Uh, you know, buy a, a, a gift and give it to somebody else. Buy a meal for somebody else. Uh, so there are things that businesses are they're really trying to get creative and, and keep things going. When this business ban lifts and we can open again, get out. Start seeing the people that you n- used to see before. If you need your jeans hemmed, get them hemmed. Come to me. Come to Barbara Bone. She's closed, too. Everybody needs a good tailor. <laughs> Everybody needs a good tailor. <laughs> it makes you feel better. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you'll hear from Sydney Rushing, owner of Rushmore, a clothing boutique located on Broadway in downtown Alton. If you haven't shopped at Rushmore, which you can currently do online, I highly recommend it. I'm not at all embarrassed to say my closet contains quite a few tops from Sydney's store. She opened Rushmore in August of 2019, and I asked her what made her want to open a boutique in Alton. I had always worked in St. Louis. I've been in retail a long time, and I lived in Alton. And so driving to and from St. Louis, it was like, okay, like I don't mind this, but sometimes I want to shop closer to home, and I don't want to go to Kohl's or Macy's, JCPenney's, those types of places. I wanted something special, you know, kind of unique. And I thought, well, somebody will do that. Well, then nobody did it. And I thought, well, I could do that. (laughs) So it happened. She told me how work has been prior to the pandemic. This month aside, it's been great. Everybody loves shopping small around here, which is such an inspiring feeling. And even January, I mean, January is slow for everybody. But even through January, I felt the love and I felt the 
appreciation that we were still there and we were happy to be there. And then um, February was pretty great too. And then I was thinking we would just keep going uphill, but March, of course, super slow. (laughs) She then told me about her decision to go to online shopping. You know, it was actually really interesting. I refused for a very long time to put anything online. I wanted to have a website, of course, because an information hub. But working in retail, you sort of get kind of callous to the idea of shopping online. And I opened a brick and mortar because physical shopping is so important to me. I love going in and feeling the materials and the qualities. And if you've ever been in Rushmore before, you'll know that I love the way things feel. Like if it's not soft, if it's not comfortable, I really don't want it in the store. So I was very hesitant to do the online thing. But by February, she was ready to try to put some things online. So she began working on updating her website. I think it was probably the beginning of March that I had it kind of the way I liked it. I wasn't really ready to put products online quite yet. But then all this stuff happened and it was almost like the timing was unbelievably perfect. And so I think the last week that I was actually able to be open, I started taking photos of stuff and uploading it and It was just, it felt sort of meant to be, given that the timing was so uh, compatible. I then asked her what business is like currently. At first, it was very panicked, but I've I've sort of surpassed the panic, and now I'm in this, like, got to move forward, just got to keep working through it, um, working with it, really. Um, I'm part of a group in St. Louis called the Women's Creative, and they really inspired me. They've We've been having these calls, and we all talk about how we're feeling and and what we can do to keep working through all of this and they just said keep pivoting keep pivoting and it's like every day I wake up and I'm like okay how can I pivot in the right direction what can I do to make this a little bit better in the situation I also asked her what she and her business need from the community right now I fall into kind of like a weird group right now it's kind of I don't like to call it this, but it's like unnecessary items. So I'm trying to think of how I can better serve um, people right now. Like we all want some comfy clothes. I would like to know what I can offer. Um, I'm working right now on a gifting collection, I guess. So usually I'm pretty clothing heavy, but right now clothes aren't really essential. We're all in our comfy clothes. We're all wearing PJs most of the time. And I know so many events are coming up and we may not be able to physically be there for these big events, but what we can do is give them gifts. And so I'm focusing on having things like gifting bundles and things like that. And I I hope that that's something that the community needs and and would appreciate right now. Um, So I guess what I need from them is feedback, really. What can I do more? to make it a more um, a shoppable experience online or um, products that are something that you're willing to, to spend your money on right now. And she told me what she wants people to know about what it's like to be a small business owner. As far as all the time goes, it's you're always thinking about the next step. You know, um, you're trying to be one one thought ahead of what you need to be really. And Right now, it's a lot of holding your breath. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, am I am I going to pay my bills? <laughs> you know, it's uh, 
kind of, it's scary, but it's, it's doable. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we can all make it through this. It's just, we need the backing of our community to understand that like most, not all the time, but sometimes, especially this time of year, I think everybody's feeling penny to penny. Now, here's Yvonne Campbell, owner and baker extraordinaire of My Just Desserts. In fact, she was baking a rhubarb crumble during our interview. Yvonne is in her second year as owner, and I asked her how she's been enjoying it so far. I'm definitely a born baker, and if I didn't bake, I always say, right, people say your pies are so good. And I'm saying, well, I'm going to tell you this, if I couldn't bake, I don't know what I would do. So. Um, I think I definitely landed in the right place. I call it my uh, my just desserts love story mm-hmm. because um, look where uh, you know look where we are now, and and it it's it's exciting just to think about even in a time like this. She then told me what work has been like the past couple of months. So I think um, it was put in effect on like March March the eighteenth. So even previous to March the eighteenth. Our business just declined, you know, as soon as um, coronavirus was a was a big deal or even just as soon as people started talking about it and you just seen the numbers. I mean, a good lunch on a Wednesday would be maybe like 110 people. We were having like 22 people days. So wow. it, it 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 hurts, you know, a small business to go from that type of revenue to like I would say, we can't have three twenty people days in a week. You know, it's we, we can't do it. So then, when it came time to thinking about, okay, could we do curbside? When you have to process how many to-go orders you might do in a typical day, that was not the the most of our revenue. And then you have to think about gauging your supply, your inventory. What should I make in a day? What are people going to order? So. Once the 18th came, we did it for a few days, and um, I just felt like we're going to lose money by trying to stay open, try to um, keep people on the payroll, and not know what Monday is going to bring. She then went on to tell me how her business neighbors across the street, who own Epicurean Fair, a delicious gourmet to-go restaurant, reached out a helping hand. She offered me just a little small space, like three shelves in her, in her um, grab-and-go box and said, you can put whatever you want in here. Because then I had decided we're going to have to revisit this as far as, you know, any curbside or anything. We're going to go ahead and close. I'm going to lay everybody off. I'll just do whatever needs to be done to supply the pies across the street. So that has been a good thing. Um... I stock her like three times a week and it's even better because it has grew her business and it will grow my business because maybe some of her customers never had my pie Mm -hmm. and my customers never had um, her food. And it it really delights me. I go in there and my customers are calling her, you know, Mm -hmm. saying, can they order whole pies? And we had, I have said, just give them my number, give them my number. So some people have got a hold of me and like it. Two days ago, I made a black bottom pie for a man's anniversary because that's oh. what they did every year. They had 
black bottom pie for his anniversary. So, um, you know, that made me feel good. I came in to make one pie, but it was their anniversary and they can't get that pie anywhere. So things like that have eased the pain through all of this. And you mentioned your employees. So how many do you have or, or did you have and did you have to lay everyone off? I have 20 employees. 20. Yeah. And I laid everybody off. Mm-hmm. I asked her how she's thinking about the future in terms of adjusting her business to deal with the current climate. So basically my mind has been going in the uh, just re- reinventing my just desserts because um, one thing I love is my customers. So that's 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 the biggest thing that, that I hate to see happening. I mean, I say I bake pies, but I rub backs like my customers know I'm going to touch them. I'm going to rub their back. I'm going to, you know, be more than just a pie maker. So that's probably one thing I think about, you know, as far as the change and, and, you know, what are we going to do? People aren't going to want to come in. Nobody's going to want to sit down. So clearly, um, the avenue of, you know, the Grubhub, the Uber Eats and, all of those different things, we are establishing a plan right now to just jump on board of any avenue that we can whenever they say, okay, you know, you can open back up. I've thought about, you know, branding in grocery stores, you know, I mean, maybe eventually one day where my pies might have to be in the grocery store just to help supplement times like these. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. I mean, I don't have the answers for a whole lot of stuff. And you just really got to see what happens. But um, I know we have a great support system in our customers. So when we do get back on board, you know, I just pray that everyone continues to support, even though things won't be the same. Mm -hmm. I then asked her what is getting her through this challenging time. Yeah, I always say, I I don't think I've ever prayed this hard in my life. Would you think that's a bad thing? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, just the people around me, my family. um, My sister sent a video yesterday. I miss you guys. You know, just just things like that. You just know that um, you cannot lose your mind today. I mean, this is definitely going to be a long road. So I kind of just like remind myself that you can't lose it today. You know what I mean? Not that I've even been ready to lose it. I don't think I've been ready to lose it yet. I had a good conversation with Ann, the the former owner, um, just the other day. And she just praised me and it just made me feel just like, you know, when you don't think you're doing great at, you know, at this, at this time, you know, she really uplifted me on that day. Like you're doing great, you know? So just the people around you, just reassurance and just, the, just the fact that shoot, I got a heartbeat. Faith got me here and, you know, faith to get me through. And that's where we'll start with episode two. We'll take a look at how we're getting through each day and how we're coping with the struggles and fears that all of us are going through.
This episode of All Town USA was written, edited, and produced by me, Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan, with additional music by Darren Pierce and Miles Moore. Special thanks to Lillian Bates, Donna Bazilian, Yvonne Campbell, Kayla and Jason Harrison, Sarah McGibney, and Sydney Rushing. Thank you.